Due to a mistake, the live recording of this sermon was unfortunately deleted. We have a new recording of Timmy's message, though without the live crowd. The message was so timely and powerful, we felt it needed to be available, even if the quality isn't the same as the night it was given. Please enjoy. Hello. Uh, yeah, my name is Timmy, and uh, I am I'm super excited to be able to talk to you guys tonight um, about something you probably already guessed from what Molly shared about. Um, but tonight we are going to be talking about evangelism. And uh, we warned you uh, last week that tonight's going to be a little different. Um, it's going to be a little more teaching, less preaching, so maybe less of an emotional appeal than usual and a lot more information. Um, but hopefully you guys can still buckle up and you never know. Uh, any of you guys who know me well, I tend to cry a lot, so you never know when I might shed a tear if I get a little emotional up here. Um, we'll see. So, in order to talk about evangelism, I think one of the first things we need to define is actually how it is different than discipleship. Um, because discipleship is another term we use in Chi Alpha a lot. So when we talk about discipleship, we are talking about something that focuses on believers, whereas evangelism is something that focuses on non-believers. <clears throat> you see, like a disciple is actually essentially just another word for student, and particularly a student who like is an adherent to a certain teacher or ideal. So in the Christian context, a disciple is someone who believes in Jesus and has a desire to learn more about him and get to be conformed more and more into his image. So for us, like discipleship primarily is taking place within our small groups. Um, and within a small group is where you're going to have more mature Christians walk alongside less mature Christians and help them learn what it looks like to get to follow Jesus closely. And discipleship is essential to basically any, any Christian church or ministry. Um, this is a basic part of who they are. This is the basic building block of how Christians learn more about Jesus and become more like him. However, evangelism is about sharing the gospel with non-believers, and it's primarily going to take place outside of our small groups, really outside of a whole church setting altogether. Because evangelism is actually built off the same words. Like, if you guys, you know, are Christians, you're going to probably have heard the term gospel or the four gospels. Gospel just means good news. And that Greek word, which we translate as good news, is actually... Um, very similar to the word which we translate as evangelism. Because evangelism is basically just um, putting the good news into action or to proclaim the good news to other people. And evangelism is really important to us because God has a desire to see all people come to know him, not just people that grew up in a Christian household. Um, and we see this in a couple places throughout scripture. Um, so if you guys seen your notes, one of the places is 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 where um, Paul's talking about this idea that we need to pray for people in all sorts of positions because God wants all people to be saved. Uh, similarly, in Ezekiel chapter 33, um, verse 11, you see where the prophet Ezekiel, um, speaking you know, for the Lord, says it is God's desire that everyone would repent and turn from their wicked ways because he doesn't actually have the desire to destroy anybody. So you see this like kind of a recurring theme to description, this idea that God desires to know everyone. Um, now granted, that doesn't necessarily uh, lead us to evangelism right off the way. But what I have found is that most people are not going to enter a discipleship relationship unless they already have some kind of prior relationship um, with Jesus, prior knowledge of Jesus, or at least a uh, strong relationship with the person that's like inviting them into church. 
Um, so kind of just to illustrate this point, if I could have my small group leaders stand up. Yeah, go ahead. Um, cool, so you just take a look around you. There's a lot of us, um, thank the Lord. And <laughs> yeah, if, if all of you guys who are small group leaders, if you feel like you had a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, that you really were trying to pursue him when you came into college, before you got involved in Chi Alpha, uh, could you just go ahead and sit down? So if you look around again, you'll notice that a lot of our small group leaders are no longer standing. Um, okay, so then for those of you who are left, if you uh, maybe weren't already a Christian coming into college, but you already had a church background or had spent some time in church as a child, could you go ahead and sit down? Okay, so you'll notice basically no one's left. Um, thank God for the rare exceptions of people that are able through our ministry to go all the way from, you know, completely opposed to Jesus or completely unaware of Jesus um, all the way over to a believing disciple maker. But this is a rarity because it's honestly just not what discipleship is meant to do. And this is why we need evangelism. We need a way that we go out and we begin to change people's hearts to enable them to enter discipleship. Um, but, you know, how do we start doing this? Where, where, where does this... Uh, like, where does this idea come from? And uh, I, I, think, I think for us, if we want to take evangelism seriously, first we need to get our hearts right. And that starts with knowing that evangelism has to come out of a place of love and compassion. Um, I believe God created us for a relationship with Him. Um, this is something you can actually see if you just look at our sermons um, throughout the semester. We've talked about God being our King, God being our Father, and God being... Um, our friend and brother. Um, this is really essential, but as part of having a relationship with someone, it actually changes who you are. That as you get to know them, as they get to know you, it changes something. And I think God has an innate desire to actually change our desires into His. Okay, that we begin to love like He loves and care about the things He cares about. So if God cares about reaching the world, we should care about reaching the world. But Christians tend to fall into this problem, um, not just Christians, but churches at large. So if you guys take a uh, look at those notes, the first figure um, in your notes, figure one, is called the great, um, great, greatest commandment churches versus, versus greatest, great commission ministries. And I'll unpack that a little bit. So if you guys look at this, the greatest commandment churches, this is talking about more of the family model. And this is probably what most of us who grew up in church are really used to. These are the churches that focus on Jesus' words. When somebody asked him, like, hey, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? He said, love the Lord with everything and love your, you know, love your neighbor. This idea that we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love people. This is great teaching. This is a great thing. We should be focusing on this. This should be a big deal to us. And a positive thing that comes out of focusing on this is Christians become better people. They become more moral. They're transformed more into the image of Christ. However, if this becomes the only focus of these churches, although you know, you're going to see Christians actually stay Christians, um, you're going to see them become better, and you're going to see the community loved on, you're not going to see a whole lot of people outside of the church come into the church. You're not going to see that kind of urgency in Christians' lives to bring their friends to know Jesus because it's all really about the family and keeping the family together and then becoming a strong unit. But they're not really looking outwards. On the other side of things, we have the great commission ministries. 
Um, and this is more of the army side. So the idea more of like what we're meant to do together. So this is based on Jesus' words when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Great teaching. This is awesome. Like, yeah, absolutely. Let's go teach people how to serve Jesus. Um, and a really good thing that happens in these sorts of ministries is you're going to see a lot of conversions. You're going to see them go out and share their faith and teach people. Um, so this, yeah, so it's cool. So you're going to see people come to know Christ um, and you're going to have that real urgency and that real responsibility in Christians that they're going to grow closer to God in the sense that they understand um, they need to care for their fellow man on a spiritual level, not just like on a, you know, kind of meeting their needs sort of level. However, some of the bad effects of this is because it's so outward focused, a lot of times they're not dealing with the hard issues. They might not even have good relationships with one another. And you're going to have people that are counterfeit conversions. You're going to have people that are still dealing with sin and entrapped to sin. This is why we, we in Chi Alpha will use the phrase, we are both family and army. Because these ideas have to be paired together in order to be effective truly. Um, and actually the order here I do think matters. Um, I think we should major on the greatest commandment, this idea of loving God with everything, loving our fellow man. But the natural direction that should lead us to is to the Great Commission. We need to understand that if God created us for a relationship with Him, then God's greatest desire is to get to know us. So if we love Him, we're going to want to both get to know Him ourselves and bring others into knowledge of Him. And if we love our fellow man, we're going to see that they are trapped in sin and they cannot change and they need purpose. And the greatest thing we can do for them is to introduce them to their Creator. So this, these things can flow out of one another. And it is important for it to be in that order. It needs to be from that place of love first, which is why we go and fulfill the Great Commission. Because if we do it the other way and we make the Great Commission our priority, then the love becomes the thing we fake in order to get people into the kingdom. Um, that we are nice to them in order to get them to like God, uh, which, isn't, which isn't a place we really want to be. Um, we do genuinely want to love people. We do want to genuinely care about them. But if I love them and if I care about them, I want them to know the King. Um, so I've got another, another graph in a figure two that illustrates kind of how the Gospels should be advancing in our lives in a very natural progression. So if you guys look at this figure, um, I know it's a lot of information, um, but I'm going to break it down a little bit. So along that uh, left side, you're going to see on the top, it says Christian, and on the bottom of the left side, it says non-Christian, okay? So those refer to those columns uh, next to them, or the portions of the columns next to them. So, it is my belief that every single person is born into one of the bottom three categories. So this is unaware, non-believer, or believer. And as we become more aware of Jesus, or as he works in our lives, we can move along that line. Um, so life isn't fair. We don't all get an exactly equal starting point. Um, but, so there are going to be some people that are born into unaware situations. Um, this is going to be mostly people outside of the U.S. Um, but occasionally you'll have it here too. Places like China... Uh, places like the Middle East, where there's going to be very limited access um, to Jesus. They, are, they, they won't even have an opinion on him. It's not that they don't believe him in him. It's that they don't even know who he is or don't have any real ideas about the, you know, the Christian doctrines of who he is. So it's not that, it, that they've consciously rejected him as much as like just not had the chance to even think about it. Then in the next category, you have the non-believer. Um, so this is someone who's heard of Jesus, at least enough to use his name as a cuss word, um, but it's, but it's not someone who's necessarily put their um, actual belief in Jesus. So Jesus, either they don't understand enough about the gospel to believe it, or they simply think it's unlikely to be true. 
Uh, and this is honestly most of the people you're going to run into at WVU. They're going to be people who have some awareness of the gospel. They've grown up in a Christian culture, but they haven't actually been convinced Christianity is true. And then the next category is the believer. These are the church kids. These are the people that grew up in an environment where they always believed in God. They always believed, you know, Jesus was the son of God. Um, they would have a basic idea of what the gospel is, but that doesn't mean they've actually given their life to the Lord. So I often say like every church kid has to go through that moment with that experience when they actually, you know, their faith becomes real to them and they give their life to Jesus. Um, and this is what discipleship is really, really good at. So here in Chi Alpha, we're really helping people. We're really good at helping people turn this, that corner. We're good at taking in church kids, people that have some awareness of the gospel and helping them realize, if you look at that X in between uh, sections three and section fours, and says they truly realize that they are a sinner and that Jesus is worthy worthy of their life. So this is what Kyle is good at. It gets people to go from, you know, from three to four, and in that process, they begin to want to know more about Jesus. They become involved in the community and even learn how to disciple other people and help them. So Kyle has this nice little cycle. Kyle kills it in discipleship. We are really good at taking these church kids and spitting them out as leaders. Okay, but that means our entire circle sits in this green column. And those are the, with only a few exceptions, those are almost the only people we're going to reach with only discipleship. It is my hope that tonight I can provide the X between the sections four and section five that says they are willing to break social norms in order to see Jesus glorified. Okay? I think this is something we have to get to. Because, as I said, a lot of our university is in this non-believer category. And if we don't break outside of just the mold of discipleship, and I'm not saying abandon discipleship, we need it. It is the fundamental building block of the church. But if we don't also go beyond that and start going outside of our own walls, outside of our small groups, and start going to them, then there's a huge swatch of the university that's simply never going to be reached um, by us. But once we have that, then we can start to have these tough conversations and help people realize that Christianity is either true or at least probable enough that they're willing to consider discipleship and they're willing to consider coming into church and, and beginning to learn about these things for themselves. But while they think it's just a you know a bunch of hocus pocus, they're probably not going to want to do that much investigation. Um, so that, that kind of second scenario is the, the X between sections two and three is that idea of just them getting to transition. So you can see how this is a cycle um, and it is up to the ministry and up to the church and up to the individual Christians to have this in their heart that we continue to grow and we continue to be outside of our comfort zone in order to keep reaching these people with less and less access to the gospel. Um, so obviously there's the missions category as well. Um, but for tonight, we're not going to talk about that as much. We're going to try to build evangelism up and then, you know, one of these days we'll, we'll really start fighting for that too. So one of the things I really want to emphasize tonight is that evangelism requires breaking social norms. This is just a fact. It's uncomfortable, but it's okay. So I want to ask you guys, do you believe Jesus is worthy of feeling awkward? Do you love other people enough to interrupt them? It is going to be awkward to talk about religion. There are certain topics in our culture which are basically no-nos. I mean, certain things like politics um, or just like these bigger questions in life, they're, they're off the table. But talking about sports, TV shows, anything that distracts us from the deeper questions, those are the things people want us to talk about. However, as Christians, we must be willing to pay the awkward bill. It is absolutely true that anybody in the U.S. has the opportunity to walk into a church 
They could at any point just go into a church and come learn about God. But why as Christians do we expect them to go into a place where they are outnumbered and where they are uncomfortable instead of us going to a place where we are outnumbered and we are uncomfortable? If we love them, let's take the first step and be the one to have the tough conversation where they still feel comfortable. Okay, and realize that most conversations in life that are important are going to be awkward conversations. Um, I realize most of you guys aren't married yet, but if any of you guys have ever asked to grow out or, you know, are going to get married, decided to go to college in a place where your parents didn't expect you, anything like that, these are a lot of times going to be awkward conversations, but they're going to affect the trajectory of your life. This is just how life works. The most awkward conversations are the most valuable ones. Um, so as we start to realize this, like, hey, if we don't get evangelism, there's a lot of people that aren't going to get to know Jesus. And that should bother us. So, you know, realize we need to step outside our comfort zone. We need to be willing to make the first move. And as we do that, it's good for us to recognize what kind of people it is that we should be fighting for or what our sphere of influence is. So if you guys look at figure three, uh, this is just called, you know, the spheres of influence. So obviously the, the circle, the inner circle, this is going to be the people closest to you and the group I call personal evangelism. So this in many ways is your primary responsibility. This is going to be your family, your coworkers, um, roommates, siblings, that kind of thing. And important traits of this group is that there's going to be a lot of overlap between evangelism and discipleship because they know you well enough they might actually be willing to bridge that gap. But that doesn't mean you're not, you shouldn't be willing to make that first move. Um, something else that's really special about this, though, is because it's so life on life, you do have to take your time a little bit more. And the way you live is going to affect your witness a lot more than somebody you just meet for the first time. Because they know if you're not living this out, and it's going to affect how much they respect what you have to say. The next fear is what I call daily evangelism. So this one's a little harder to define, but essentially these are your acquaintances. These are going to be the people that you have access to, that you run into regularly, um, but just as you go about your day. So think like your waitress at the restaurant, the person who's checking you out at the grocery store, um, the person riding next to you on the bus, that, that sort of thing. And these are... this. This group is kind of hard sometimes because a lot of times people are busy, including you, and you don't really know if you should interrupt them or not. And this is where leaning into the Holy Spirit's a really big deal because if you're not listening to what he has to say, you're going to miss opportunities to share them. However, I do think in both of these cases, if you have a good, solid foundation in discipleship and how to lead other Christians, a lot of times these, these sorts of areas, you're going to do an okay job witnessing. Um, you know, if you really do love Jesus, then he's going to come up in conversation with the people that you care about. At least I would sure hope so. Um, just like in the same way, you know, I'm married. If you have been friends with me for a while and you don't know that I'm married, that's really weird. If someone has met you more than once and they don't know that you're a Christian, that should be kind of weird. Um, so the group I really want to focus on is what I'm calling scheduled evangelism. So this is when, what I'm talking about, like fellow students neighbors, and just people you run into the street, basically complete strangers. And what is special about this group is if you do not prioritize getting to talk to them about Jesus, you probably never will. So just to recap again, so we realize evangelism is really close to God's heart. He really wants people to know Jesus. Sometimes, most of the time, it's going to be awkward to bring up Jesus, and that's okay. And we need to recognize that we need to actually be willing to go out of our way if we're going to reach the students around us. Because if we don't, who's going to? But in order to do this, we also need some specific tips. I know you guys are probably thinking, okay, this is great, evangelism is important, but what does that actually look like? How do I actually share my faith? 
Um, so I just want to go through 10 tips for evangelism. Um, these are going to be kind of sporadic, but they also should be able to build a little bit. So tip number one, prayer. Prayer is essential if you want to have success in evangelism. And the number one reason is we need to go in God's power. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. There is simply something that, even though we can't understand it, that if God does not do a work with them, if they do not have an encounter with the living God, they're never going to put their trust in him. And this is not something we can provide on our own. This is something we need to ask God to do in order to initiate that. Oftentimes when we meet somebody, God's already been working on them for years, and we just weren't aware of that process. But part two of prayer is we need to ask for opportunities. Um, this is something I've seen in my own life, um, that especially in that kind of like daily and, and personal evangelism category. That there are these people we want to share Jesus with, but we just don't know when it's appropriate. And that's where it's good. Like, yeah, ask God for opportunities. I guarantee he's going to give them to you. Um, and I've seen this in my personal life a couple times, just even in the last few months. So earlier this summer, I started to think about this a lot. Like, hey, I should be leading evangelism. This is on my mind. I'm talking about it a lot. Um, and my barber, you know, a few of us in Kyle have been using the same barber. He knows I work with a Christian organization, but I don't know that I've ever really shared the gospel with him. And it started to bother me. And I was asking God, like, God, please give me an opportunity to share Jesus with him. And uh, it was amazing. I, I, you know, I show up, I sit down and cut my hair. And within just a few minutes, he starts talking about movies. And the movie Dune came up. And uh, if any of you guys are close to me, you, there's a good chance you've heard me talk about the movie Dune and how I think it actually reflects the gospel. Um, but that night at small group, I had already had a lesson where I was going to use a scene from Dune and talk about how God's laws are actually not a burden, but a privilege that he, you know, he wants us to become something greater. And it's a privilege that we get to fulfill that and be his image bearers. And I could just share that with him and like walk him through, obviously in more detail than I'm saying now, um, but walk him through some of that. And it was just, it was just incredible that like, I really didn't have to do anything. I just had to walk through the open door God gave me. And then similarly, um, this summer I was on vacation with my wife, Brooklyn's family. And I really just started like, you know, getting bothered that like I hadn't had a good chance to share, you know, Jesus with them and some of the things that they were dealing with and frustrated with. And I started just asking God, Lord, please give me the chance to share Jesus. And that day I had one of the closest heart to hearts with Brooklyn's brother who does not believe in Jesus um, that I've ever had, where he was started talking about how he wants to, you know, get back to God, but he's got a lot of things he needs to work through because, you know, he lost his grandfather who was his father figure. And, um, even though he knows this had to happen, it's just really hard for him to reconcile that God took his, his grandfather from him. And this is like a legitimate issue. And it was just cool to be able to have that conversation with him and uh, have real hope that we're going to be able to continue that conversation one of these days. But what I really want to emphasize though is we both need to pray for opportunities, but we also have to take them, guys. There is no point asking for opportunities if we're not going to walk through that door when God gives them to us. And if you don't walk through the doors, he might stop actually giving you the chances, you know? Um, so please really lean in. The first step of doing evangelism is asking for God's help. Tip number two is going to be taking initiative. I know this almost sounds counterintuitive to the first one, but oftentimes this is how these things work with God, is we're working in a relationship with God. And there's a part that God has to do, and there's a part he has chosen for us to do. So step one of this is preaching the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15, Paul says, How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? 
And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Guys, we cannot wait on the world to get interested in Jesus. We must proclaim Jesus in order for them to get interested. You catch that? We can't wait on the world to get interested in Jesus. We must proclaim Jesus for them to get interested. Okay? Please do not buy the lie that simply living a holy life will lead your coworkers and your friends to ask you about Jesus. Sometimes that happens. But I've also heard of people who think, hey, I don't need Jesus because this person's a good moral person and they don't have them. And it's just because nobody ever told them that person was a Christian. Let us never make that mistake. Part two of taking initiative is planning, okay? I mentioned earlier that with scheduled evangelism, it's not going to happen on accident. A failure to schedule to evangelize is a failure to evangelize, okay? You're rarely going to find yourself talking to a stranger about Jesus on accident. You need to take the first step and you need to schedule it into your life. This is a discipline that has to be learned, not something that happens naturally. Otherwise, I wouldn't even need to be up here talking about it. Step number three, if you're going to go and you're going to pray, you're going to go and you're going to take initiative, then step number three is going to happen to you. You're going to get rejected. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 22, Jesus said, Blessed are you when, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Praise God, we live in America. We are probably not going to be persecuted in any real way. We're going to be scoffed at. Occasionally people are going to be a little freaked out that we even tried to talk to them because how dare you start a conversation with a stranger. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, and the people are going to think you're weird. And that's okay. That is so much less than it could be. People used to die for sharing their faith. I think we can handle a little bit of rejection. So, you know, you know it's like if we do live in this country, how are we going to use that freedom? I'm going to use it to go out and share the gospel. And I'm going to celebrate when I get rejected because Jesus says greater are my rewards when I get to in heaven. I would rather they be willing to talk to me, but if at minimum I'm going to be faithful to do my part. And if they still reject him, that is on them. It is not our job to get results. It is our job to be faithful to the commands of our Savior. Tip number four, remember the goal. Your goal is to share the gospel when you're sharing the gospel. Sounds simple enough, um, but this is actually one of the hardest things, I think, especially for those of us who've been small group leaders for a while. It is our natural inclination. If a conversation goes remotely well, we want to invite them straight to small group. And I think that can sometimes freak them out. I'm still trying to figure out how to get better at this. But we need to understand that so much of the time, what we need to do is just plant a seed and realize we're not going to get to reap that harvest. But the seeds we plant today, whenever they're in some in some job and they meet another Christian in 10 years and that Christian invites them to church, they're going to say yes because of the conversation they had with us. So this is actually a concept Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-8. through 8. Paul says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. We have to realize the only reason any of us are open to the gospel is because somebody first planted a seed in us. Um, for those of us who would be in that believer category, 
That just means we had the seeds planted when we were very young. That from, that from a tender age, you know, of little children, people were telling us about Jesus and about his story. And praise God for that. But we need to realize that these people are going to be spiritual babes. And that we're the ones planting those seeds so that later on they can have that decision. So I think a good rule of thumb uh, when you're out there evangelizing, obviously you don't know who you're going to be talking to. So if they turn out to be a Christian, amen, hallelujah, invite them into small group. Absolutely, don't hesitate. Invite them into that community. If they already have one, encourage them, pray for them, send them on their way. Um, that is totally fine. If they're just open to the gospel, um, then our go-to really should be follow-up. Our, goals, our go-to should be friendship, invite them to lunch, invite them to coffee. Give them a place where they're comfortable and can have a second conversation before you necessarily jump straight into discipleship. Oftentimes, we should even be willing to walk with somebody all the way down this path until they actually get saved and then bringing them into the church. This was a normal way for the church to function until very recently. If they're hostile to the gospel, be firm. Like, absolutely do not back down on your belief, but also be kind. Uh, realize that they have reasons for their beliefs, you have your reasons for yours. Um, obviously, you believe they're wrong, and that's okay. It's actually good. Um, but just be firm and kind to them and realize maybe you won't get to have a second conversation, um, but your conversation could lead to another for somebody else. And if they're just closed off to the gospel, really similar concept. Just be honest that you really do think these things are important, um, even if they're totally apathetic and they just, they're too busy for Jesus right now or they don't think he's important to their lives. Um, just be honest. Like, say, hey, I, I really think there's some good reason to think this is a big deal, that if God exists, he's the most important thing. Um, but also be gracious and just thank them for letting you speak to them, for letting you take their time. Um, and then you just pray for them. Uh, we cannot force anyone to come to the to come to the gospel, just be as honest and open and gracious as you can. So tip number five, and this one's even more practical, admit when you don't know, okay? Guys, I know there's a temptation to pretend like you're smarter than you are, but the honest fact is when you're sharing the gospel, especially when you're first starting out, you're gonna run into people who just know more than you, and that's okay. It is, you just need to be open about that admit your ignorance, and be willing to investigate with them. Like, I'm not saying just be like, hey, I don't know everything, whatever. But be willing to say, hey, I don't have the answer to that. I'd love to look into that for you and get back to you. You know, humility goes a long way. And some people may have never actually seen humility acted out. And that can be a part of your witness. I think there's actually a really cool story in the book of John. Um, there's, this, there's this blind man who was healed by Jesus. And the religious authorities pulled him aside and started to ask, like, hey, you know, is this Jesus guy? Is he a sinner? And in John chapter 9, verse 25, we read, this is the blind man speaking. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. If all you know is what Jesus did for you, that is something substantial, okay? We, if that's all you got, that is something big, and it can make a big difference. Especially in our culture, as we become increasingly secular, a lot of people aren't looking to see if Jesus is even true. What they're wanting to know is if Jesus works. Is Jesus helpful? And if you can show that Jesus freed you from your sin, if you can show that he gives you purpose in life, that you have real community, that you, have, that you feel this grace and this joy that you've never had, even if you can't explain all the reasons why it's true, that's going to make a big difference to a lot of people. However, step number six, tip number six, know what you believe. Um, this is what we refer to as apologetics, and it's actually a command in the Bible. So in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter said, Always be prepared to give, a, give an answer to everyone, everyone, who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, 
but do it with gentleness and respect. If you are a Christian, you should probably be able to articulate some of the basic Christian doctrines. For instance, why did Jesus die on the cross? Okay, like if this is what our whole religion is built on, this idea that he died and rose for our sins, we should probably have an idea that we're actually sinners and that we required someone to take that for us. Um, if you cannot explain that, I really recommend starting there. Be able to explain that. But other basic doctrines, like where do we get this idea of a trinity from? If you're a Christian, you should know the answer to that. Um, and if you don't right now, that's okay, but go figure it out. You know, like, like these are some of the most fundamental things to our faith. Um, we, should, we should have an idea where they come from. But as you grow, we should continue to learn. We should continue to press in and learn more. And some other questions you might want to know the answers to is why can we trust the New Testament documents? You know, if our religion is built off this man in the first century in Palestine, we should have an idea whether or not those stories are actually true and why we think they are true. We should be able to answer the question of how can, how can a good God allow evil? I mean, this is one of the biggest barriers to the gospel. Somebody knows somebody in their life. They've seen a family member who's a really good person suffer from some horrible disease and they just can't reconcile that with a good God. There are, there are really good, solid answers to these questions, um, but they're not one that we're going to come to without thinking about it. Um, so this is a good question to be thinking about deeply as you continue to grow. And the last one is just like, how do science and faith work together? I don't feel there's any contradiction between them, but some people, for some people, this is a big stumbling block, that they grew up religious and they went to college and they say, oh, now I follow science. Um, and being able to articulate a little bit about how science and faith can actually be interdependent and should be interdependent in a lot of ways, can be a big deal. However, along with that, as important as apologetics are, as important as knowing some important facts are, we also have to realize that, that even though there are real objections to belief in Jesus, this often is not what keeps people from believing in Jesus. Um, it is important to get roadblocks out of the way of someone who's on the path to Jesus, but it doesn't matter if you remove those roadblocks if they're not willing to actually take that step. And this is something you actually see um, in the Bible. So Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, Paul's talking about those who choose to reject Jesus. So he said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So I know that was a lot of words, but he's basically saying, just from looking at nature, we should have an idea that God is there. People don't have an excuse to say, hey, I had no idea, God never spoke to me. There should be a basic idea that there's something out there, we should investigate what that is. Yet because of our desire to do other things, we will suppress that knowledge. And this is where these other barriers come into place, that these are the tools um, people will use to tell themselves that God isn't real or that God does, shouldn't have authority in their life. And I'm not going as far as to say that every single person who's, who's not a Christian is not one just because they want to sin. But we have to realize that simply convincing somebody that Christianity is plausible does not mean they will choose to become a Christian. And this is why it's really important for us to remember that everyone is born with a God-sized hole in their heart. Um, I actually, I recently got to do some evangelism um, with crew and it was it was really cool they got to you know one of their guys got to show me kind of how they do it and I actually made this mistake um, this guy we were talking to made a comment about how he had some real 
just struggles with faith. And I started talking about the reasons why I think Jesus is an historical fact and why I can trust in him as an historical figure. And I find it rational to believe in Christianity. But he had also mentioned that he has a hard, hard time putting religion over his career. And I, we, afterwards, um, the guy with crew was just telling me it may have been more important to focus on that, to focus on the issue in his heart. That at the end of the day, he was filling his purpose in life with career. And even if we showed him that Jesus was 100% true, that, that it was totally rational to believe in him, that doesn't mean he was going to believe in him if he still hadn't dealt with his heart issue of the fact that he wanted to put his career over these other things. Guys, we have to realize, we have to ask the question of what is filling the God-sized hole in their heart and get to the deeper issue much of the time. Ultimately, we need to show them that whatever they're pursuing isn't going to fulfill them the way God will. So tip number eight is ask good questions. This is one of the ways you get to find out these, these things. It's not just preaching at them, but actually asking what they believe. Um, not only does this help you get to this heart, these heart issues, but also it helps expose the holes in what they believe. Um, you, you'll find this, if any of you guys have ever been out at Booth or had you know, a long conversation with me where I've got to play devil's advocate with you for a little bit, um, it's really easy to think you have good, good reason to believe something and then someone starts poking holes and you realize you don't actually know why you believe what you believe. Um, and especially when we're talking about an atheistic worldview, there's so much that gets borrowed from our faith. I mean, this whole idea that people have inherent value, you don't get that from naturalism or from evolution. Um, you know, if we're just a cosmic accident, then our value is only what we self-impose on ourselves. Um, and you can expose th these sorts of issues fairly easily by just asking them where they get their belief, why do they think people have value, where does their sense of purpose come from, um, and just asking these sorts of good questions. And it doesn't require us to be an expert in anything, but just asking them to explain the things they already believe. So, but along with that is tip number nine, which is just to be yourself. I know it's going to be tempting when you guys get out there. To, you know, you're gonna, it, it should be natural that you're gonna, you know, go with somebody who's a little bit more experienced with you, get to watch them do it, and then you're just gonna copy what they did. That can be okay. But at the end of the day, you need to find out what works for you. Some people are gonna find it very natural and comfortable to walk up and sit down with someone and just ask if they need prayer. Other people, like me, prefer to hold a sign on campus and ask them about, like, how science and faith can interact, and ask these sorts of, like, tough questions in a more open setting versus like sitting down next to them. And it's going to be different. Guys, God made us all different and unique. He wants us all to be willing to do whatever we need to to do evangelism. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't major on the things that, that are your strengths. Um, obviously, those can shift with time as we continue to grow and get better at this. But yeah, I mean, just be yourself. Don't try to be an imitation of me or one of the other staff members. But do what comes naturally to you. And tip number 10 is just practice, practice, practice. Guys, I cannot emphasize enough, nobody's good at evangelism when they start. Okay? Like, I used to hate this. I used to be terrified of this. But as I do it, I get more and more comfortable to the point that it's, I, I don't even think about it that much anymore. But, there, but I still uh, go try a new type of evangelism and I'll get nervous again because I've just never been in that sort of situation. And that's normal. The way you get better at evangelism is to do evangelism. And that's just how it is. We can give you all the tips in the world, but they're only going to be tips. Until you actually get a chance to practice them yourself, you're not going to know how they work for you, and you're not going to know what works for you. Now at this point, some of you guys are probably wondering, is this for me? You know, like, 
you know, yeah, I understand evangelism is a big deal, but I'm just a freshman, or, you know, I've never done small group leader training. I don't actually, I've never actually read the whole Bible. You know, all these, like, reasons that seem pretty legit. Uh, but I just want to share you guys a biblical story to emphasize how simple evangelism can be. So many of you guys have probably heard of the woman at the well. Um, this is where Jesus goes to a well and sits down, and this lady walks up to him. And he starts explaining to her her whole life story that she had this, you know, super sinful past. And he just started really like explaining that he already knew all that stuff. And he, and then he explains that he's actually the Jewish Messiah. The woman is so amazed by what he's saying that she goes back to her town and starts telling everybody about it. And in John chapter four, verses 39 through 42, we see how the town reacts. So it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his many, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, "We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world." I want, you, I want to let this sink in for you guys. This woman had no church office, she had no training, and she had only known Jesus for a few minutes. But because of her excitement about who Jesus is, it made other people want to discover who Jesus was for themselves. Maybe you don't have the ability to explain the gospel to somebody, but if you just give them enough, give them a taste of your excitement and how, you, how it's already changing you, that might be enough to trigger them wanting to learn for themselves. So in short, yes, evangelism is for you, whoever you are. So no matter how new you are to the faith of Jesus, evangelism is something that you can do. So I, uh, I told you guys last week, uh, we're going to have a little activity and, uh, this is the time. So we are going to practice sharing our faith. Uh, don't worry. It's just going to be pretend. Um, they're not actually going to be real non-Christians, uh, today, but hopefully this will help equip you guys moving forward. So the instructions are all on those notes we gave you. Um, but I'm also going to read through them right now for everybody. So go ahead and form a group of two to four students near you. Um, ideally, this would actually have both guys and girls. This is not a requirement, just a recommendation. Um, because I think one of the big things that holds us back in evangelism is if it's just guys together, they'll think, oh, I can't talk to the girls. Or if it's just girls together, they'll think, oh, I can't talk to the guys. But if you go together, you don't have that excuse. Um, obviously, if you are not a Christian, thank you for coming. We don't expect you to try to evangelize when you don't actually believe in Jesus. Um, but I still recommend you just join one of these groups, carry along. Obviously, they'll have... Um, one less person who's actually probably going to share the faith, that's fine. Um, you can just, you know, hang out, learn, listen from them. Um, it, it'll still be a cool experience. And then once you form a group, go ahead and head to, to the outside of the sanctuary, either along the side, up front, or back in the foyer, and you're going to find a station. So at the station, um, the staff, you guys can go ahead and head to your, um, go find a, a seat at one of these stations. So the XA staff is going to be at these different stations, and we're going to be role-playing non-believers for you guys. So we're going to try to do people from multiple different backgrounds. Um, some are going to be more hostile to the gospel, and some are going to be very open to the gospel. And you won't really know until you sit down, because that's how evangelism actually works. Um, so if you're the first group to a station, uh, go ahead and sit right, sit down with them or walk right up to them. Um, and then if you're not the first, just kind of stand back behind and listen and watch um, and learn from them while they while the other group gets a chance to practice. So step number three is going to be initiating the conversation. So this is where you're going to attempt to start a Jesus-centered conversation. Um, some possible starting points are things such as, can I pray for you? Um, you know, what do you believe about Jesus? 
or uh, where do you get your sense of purpose, whatever, like kind of get creative. Um, personally, asking if you can pray for them is my favorite because um, this is really cool in that if they're Christians, you can just pray for them. If they're not Christians and they let you, you can still pray for them. But either way, the goal is the conversation. So whether or not they let you pray for them, um, either way, just following up, it's really easy to be like, hey, you know, do you have a religious background? Is prayer a new concept to you? What do you believe? Where do we come from? Those sorts of things can kind of naturally flow out of them. Um, step number four is receiving feedback. So either after the conversation dies down naturally or about 10 minutes, just go ahead and wrap it up. Um, and just let the staff member know that you're done, you know, evangelizing to them. And they'll give you a little bit of feedback. So they'll let you know what they thought you did really well and what, you know, you could have done a little bit differently that could have been more effective. And then after you've received that feedback, just go ahead and try another station. And then if you've been waiting in line, just go ahead and, you know, take that seat. So if you go to another station and it's already filled, just wait in line like the people earlier. Um, and we're going to do this for maybe 20 to 30 minutes. I'm going to come back up here around 8.50 and let you guys know you've got about five minutes left. And then at 8.55, I'm going to debrief this just real quick with what we're going to do as a community to move forward and grow in evangelism. So you guys can go ahead and, um, yeah, go find a station and... Uh, I'll be back up here in about 20, 30 minutes. Cool. I uh, hope that was uh, different for you guys. I hope that was challenging. Um, I certainly think it's a lot of fun. If any of you guys feel like you don't want to be a Christian anymore because we were too convincing in arguing against it, please let us know. We would like to actually talk you back down. Um, but as far as like, what are we going to do now? How do, where do we go from here? It's like we can recognize that evangelism is important, but we're still like, you know, scared. We still don't know how to, how to do this. So I think step number one is going to be prayer walks. So you can see um, on your notes, I set the dates there for you. Our first one is going to be October 13th. Um, and I think prayer walks are a really good place to start gaining a burden for this. If you feel like you know evangelism is important, but you're terrified, or you just don't feel it in your heart, you don't actually have that compassion for your fellow students, come to a prayer walk. Um, start there. Start asking for God to build this up in you, that you start to see the students around you as lost people and people that... God wants to make into children of God. Another important part of prayer walks, though, is genuinely asking for power. God, I mean, we, we really want to see God soften the soil and open the doors that when we go and do evangelism, it's actually effective. Um, so prayer walks are going to be an essential part of doing that. Uh, step number two is going to be booth, um, or basically it's what we call Chi Alpha Sponsored Evangelism. So I have the dates there for you, both either before rally or what we do on Wednesdays. And this is a really good place if you've never done evangelism before. There's always going to be a staff member there. I will often, I will be there most of the time. And this is a place that you can watch us do evangelism, learn from us, and then you can practice on your own where we can actually debrief with you immediately after and answer some of your questions or even jump in if you feel like, you know, you get stuck in a conversation and need somebody else to rescue you. Um, this could be a really good place to start where we can actually come and coach you. Um, and the dates, again, are, are right there. And then lastly, this is really where my heart is. This is where I want to see us grow to is the idea of going together in two-by-two two evangelism. This is how we're going to reach WVU. Whenever this becomes so ingrained in our culture that our students feel comfortable going outside of what is strictly Chi Alpha sponsored and on their own to share with students is when we're really going to start reaching people. Because at the end of the day, there's always going to be a limited number of staff members. And there's a limited amount of places we can go as staff. I'm not going to be going door-to-door -door in the dorms. But if you live in a dorm and you want to talk to your you know, the neighbors on your floor, you absolutely can do that. Um, and this is why we think this is a really cool idea. So actually that Discord we announced earlier, um, there's going to be a channel in there about two-by-two two evangelism. 
So there are some students, Molly, uh, who shared earlier was one of them, uh, who I had the chance to sit and practice with. So we got to meet together, talk about evangelism, then we went out and practiced for an hour, and then got back together and debriefed and prayed. We want to see this become normalized. Um, so these students have volunteered to help start, start that process where they're going to go and say, hey, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do evangelism. And you guys can have the opportunity to jump in with them. But you also don't have to wait on them. If any of you guys just want to start doing this and say, hey, I'm going to be in this dorm or I'm going to be at this building on campus and I'm going to be talking to some people about Jesus who's coming with me. And the people can respond, see that you're doing that and anybody can come join you. I think this is going to be really, really cool for our culture going forward as we try to reach the whole university. So along with that, though, guys, I want to issue you a challenge to every single Christian here. If you are a Christian, commit to doing evangelism for one to two hours a month for the rest of the school year. This is not a lot of time. Okay, so no matter how busy you are, there's no reason you can't set aside an hour or two a month to go do evangelism. But if we do this, and we all do this, there's still going to be a lot of students going out and, and making Jesus famous on our campus. And it's going to build something in us and in our culture that it's going to be normal to share Jesus. I'm excited for the day that it is weird for a student not to share their faith instead of it being weird for a student to share their faith. But I'm really excited for you guys. I'm really excited to see where this goes. Um, last little thing is just that last page of notes. It's just a page of resources. Um, so for those of you guys who aren't familiar with the Bible, or even if you are, or these certain other apologetic issues, um, this is a great place to start. If you want to learn about apologetics, um, science and faith, history in the New Testament, um, learn about some other religions and worldviews, um, this is a great place to start. These are some of the people that I go to um, to learn about this, and some of the other you know, staff members um, gave some input. And I know it's a lot of information. Just start anywhere. Um, you don't have to go in the right order. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like anything you can do to learn more about your faith is a big deal. So I'm just going to pray for us, and then we're going to call it a night. Um, yeah. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about evangelism. Thank you so much that we get to make your name famous at this university. God, please bless our efforts. Please bring us both the conviction and the boldness to walk this out for years to come. God, may the students we have today be the groundwork for a culture that will last for years. And may many, many, may tens, may hundreds, may thousands come to know you because of the evangelism culture that is getting built here tonight. In your holy name, may we make your name famous. Amen.